Welcome to the second season of Murder in 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. In a small town 50 miles south of Reno and Nevada is Gardnerville. A quaint town nestled in a valley at the foot of the towering snow-tipped Sierra Mountain Peaks. The downtown streets are lined with flowers and offer a glimpse back in history with century-old buildings. While outdoors, it offers world-class hiking and fishing, an idyllic place to call home. Its population of around 6,000 is made up of folks with yards big enough for a horse to roam, and it wasn't uncommon to see residents riding through the local streets on horseback. It was a town where its residents didn't lock their doors. That is, until Wilbur moved to town. In 2018, there were no murders in Gardnerville. In 2019, there were two. Then it turned into four when they were tied to two murders in nearby Reno. Wilbur Martinez Guzman left his home in El Salvador in 2016 and arrived in the U.S. not by legal means, but rather as an illegal immigrant. In 2018, he and his mother Sonia settled into Carson City, midway between Gardnerville and Reno. ABC News reported that in Gardnerville, Connie Kuntz had a zest for life and everything related to Disney. In her mid-fifties, she worked as a manicurist and had an eye for style. Bold and loud colors were her favorite. Her dark hair was dyed blonde, her eyes deep-set, with a smile that went from ear to ear and formed deep creases in her cheeks. Connie helped care for her aging mother, and her daughter Madison looked a lot like her. The two were best friends. They talked or texted each other every day. Connie had saved up for her daughter's 21st birthday and surprised Madison with a trip to Las Vegas. A mile away, Sophia Rankin lived alone. Growing up, she earned the nickname Cookie for giving out free cookies at her parents' bakery. She was married for a short time in her 20s and lived in Southern California. She spent years working at a telephone company, working her way up from a switchboard operator to an engineer. She spent time with a gentleman who introduced her to antique cars, a hobby she kept even after he passed away. Later, she relocated to Nevada, where she could have a horse in the backyard. 
and could often be seen riding down the city streets. She was in her 70s, but acted far younger and was fearless. Her hair was short, with bangs tussled on her forehead. She was a generous soul with her family and local charities. She was known to be feisty and belonged to the local antique automobile club. She even did simple maintenance like changing the oil on her own vehicles and loved to race around town in her vintage Ford Model A. In Reno, Gerald and Sharon David were in their 80s and still active in the town's equestrian circles. Gerald had been president of the Reno Rodeo Association and Sharon was a director. Both liked to wear a tall white Stetson hat and you know what? They could pull it off. It definitely suited them. When Gerald walked into a room, he just sort of took it over in a good way. He was a natural leader and Sharon was a lover of animals. The Las Vegas Review-Journal described how the couple's home was a haven for young family members. When life got to be too much for them, Gerald and Sharon would take them in. Their niece, Sherry Perry, who was named after her aunt, fondly remembered a time when she didn't have a father in her life, so her uncle Gerald stepped in and went to a father-daughter dance with her. Starting in the spring of 2018, Gerald and Sharon hired Wilbur to work around their property. Over the next four months, he did odd jobs until he was fired in July. Fall rolled in. The leaves on the trees turned from green to orange before they disappeared. Then Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays came and went. The temperature dropped and snow dusted the hills. And soon it was 2019. The new year started off with happy celebrations full of promise. But not for all its residents. Three days later, 19-year-old Wilbur was in a desperate search for cash. He drove north to Reno, back to Gerald's and Sharon's property, and broke into an outbuilding. There, he held himself to fishing rods, a skill saw, and hunting gear. But the haul wasn't enough for him. He returned the next night. This time, he came across a 22 caliber handgun and ammunition. Without hesitation, he scooped them up and returned home armed with a gun. Gerald discussed the thefts with the caretaker on the property, but did not file a police report. He confided in his son Steve that he suspected the thief was Wilbur. A week later, on January 10th, Wilbur armed himself with the stolen 22 handgun and traveled south to Gardnerville, 
and when looking for a house to burglarize. In a subdivision, he came upon a small bungalow on James Road. Its siding was a pale pink, anchored by red brick below. Its windows looked welcoming with white vertical blinds. On the porch sat an old-fashioned light and two empty lawn chairs, while a wind chime swung softly. Connie didn't lock her doors, and the garage door was open. Wilbur spotted the open door and walked right in. Connie saw him. He didn't hesitate and reached for the twenty-two. Pulled it out and shot her once in the head. Her body fell, landing hard on the floor. Connie was dead at fifty-six, just days away from her fifty-seventh birthday. Wilbur rifled through Connie's belongings and stole sixteen silver rings and other jewelry. He took her computer and her new Apple Watch, then fled. Connie's mother stopped by the house and discovered her daughter's body. Detective Ryan Young from the Douglas County Sheriff's Office responded to a patrol car's request for backup. He was soon joined by 12 officers from his department. Once back at his mother's house, Wilbur attempted to connect the watch to Apple services using his mother's email address. Then three days later, he drove back to Gardnerville and roamed the neighborhoods looking for another house to rob. A mile from Connie's house, he came upon her rancher on Dresserville Lane. Its siding in pale yellow was anchored in stone. Its stately white front door featured a large oval window. Wilbur found a door that wasn't locked and let himself in. When Sophia saw him, he quickly reacted and reached for the twenty-two and pulled the trigger. The bullet hit Sophia in the face but she didn't go down. Instead, she ran back towards her bedroom. Wilbur chased after her and caught up to her. He fired three more times. Sophia lay dead on the floor at 74. Wilbur's intention had been to rob the house, but shooting Sophia multiple times rattled him, and he fled without stealing a thing. She had been murdered in cold blood for nothing. Someone called police about a suspicious death, and Detective Brandon Williamson was the first to arrive. Detectives Ryan Young and Brandon Williamson quickly knew the two homicides were somehow linked and they joined forces to lead a team of investigators. The Reno Gazette Journal reported that after Sophia's murder, 
they held a briefing meeting for the team. The empty box to Connie's Apple Watch had given them an idea. Could they trace the murder through the stolen watch? None of the investigators had an Apple Watch. Deputy Stephen Schultz was assigned to contact Apple for any information that might lead them to her killer. He knew Apple would require a warrant and quickly applied for one. In the meantime, he contacted the company requesting a speedy response. They had to stop the killer before he struck again. The next day, Wilbur took Connie's 16 rings and pawned them at a shop in Carson City. The following day was Tuesday, January 15th, and Wilbur decided to head back to Gerald and Sharon's property a third time. But this time, he didn't stick to just the outbuildings. He slinked his way over to their house, where he found the back door into the mudroom unlocked and let himself in. Sharon heard something and went to check it out. Wilbur raised the gun he'd stolen from them and shot her in the head. She slumped to the floor. Wilbur walked past her body and towards the bedroom when he spotted Gerald sitting on the bed getting dressed. He pointed the gun and shot once, hitting him in the head. Sharon died at 80, Gerald at 81. This time, Wilbur wasn't going to leave empty-handed. He didn't drive 20 miles for nothing. He rifled through their home and snatched Gerald's gold elk's ring, engraved with his initials, and his prized rodeo belt buckles. Then he found numerous firearms, which he also stole. Later, Wilbur pawned Gerald's elk's ring and a rodeo belt buckle at a pawn shop in Carson City. Sheriff's offices from Washoe County in Reno and Carson City responded to the murders, and investigators knew the four cases were connected. But it would take three days before they got their big break in the case. On Friday, the clock ticked close to 5 p.m. when Deputy Stephen Schultz finally received an email from Apple. He contacted Detectives Ryan Young and Brandon Williamson to fill them in. Apple had been able to provide the name of someone who attempted to contact Connie's stolen watch to their account. That name was Sonia Guzman, Wilbur's mother. Federal immigration authorities advised investigators that Wilbur was in the country illegally. That night, three sheriff offices from Douglas and Washoe counties and Carson City were joined by the FBI. They set up surveillance on Sonia and Wilbur. 
on Saturday afternoon, Wilbur got behind the wheel of his mother's 2006 BMW. Detectives followed him. He went to a car wash and was headed to the trash bins. Detectives were concerned he might be trying to get rid of evidence. Wilbur was arrested, handcuffed, and taken to the Carson City Sheriff's Office. It had been less than 24 hours since they received the email from Apple. Initially, Wilbur was held on immigration charges. He was interrogated for three hours. The New York Post reported that when detectives began asking him questions, he smiled and giggled. But after being confronted with inconsistencies in his story, he admitted he had done something that's unforgivable. He cried like a baby and called himself an idiot, then confessed to the four murders. Wilbur was charged with a total of 36 counts for burglary, possession of firearms and stolen property, and murder. Washoe and Douglas counties agreed to try the cases together because the crimes were intertwined. Court records revealed that Wilbur had wrapped the guns he'd stolen from Gerald and Sharon's home in tarps and buried them in different locations around the hills of Carson City. And Wilbur's DNA was found on the 22 he used to kill Connie and Sophia. The families of Connie, Sophia, Gerald, and Sharon appealed to District Attorney Chris Hicks to drop the death penalty so that the case would not drag on for years. And in the fall of 2021, he agreed. In a plea deal, Wilbur pled guilty to all four murders. At his sentencing in February 2022, the 23-year-old murderer was spared the death sentence and instead received 36 to 90 years for Gerald and Sharon's murders and was handed two consecutive life sentences with no possibility of parole for the murders of Connie and Sophia. At his sentencing, Wilbur was given the opportunity to address the court and speak to the families. He declined and chose to stay silent. The families would not get an answer as to why someone who came to their country for freedom took the freedom of their loved ones. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Audrey Trudeau. She was a successful professional, and when her co-worker Deb needed a place to stay, she gave her a home. Soon Audrey discovered Deb had stolen money from her to feed her gambling addiction, and she evicted her. But then Audrey disappeared without a trace. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com 
and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or Murder20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects and fasting studios and quick sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers. <laughs>